we're back episode two um for the haters that told us we'd never make it here here we are back again here to look through uh two massive cards this week we've got bellator 267 to look through that comes from friday night the london card host of british names on that card also look ahead to ufc vegas that's coming up this weekend and we can look back at as promised boys one of the best cards of the year ufc 266 I'm Adam Russell, hosting this week. Ross Beaumont is back with us. George Hardy's back with us. Ross, I'm going to start with you this week. Talk to me about UFC 266. What's your initial feedback? Mate, what a night. As, as expected, it was just absolutely unbelievable. That main event, oh, my God. <laughs> Ridiculous. That third round, mate. That third round, oh, my God. No words. Uh, well, yeah, I do have words. Incredible. Uh, now, nah, but the whole night, mate, as expected, as predicted, it was just, it was just class. Um, lived up to every single bit of hype, and I loved it. Yeah, yeah, every bit of hype and more, George. Wouldn't you say? Do you reckon the the main event fight of the year so far? Ooh, it's def- it's definitely up there. Um, that third round's probably the round of the year. I can definitely yeah. confirm that. Um, the way I've never seen anything like Volkanovski when he got out with those two. Um, tight chokes from Ortega. I don't think we'll ever see anything like that again. Um, I think one of the masters, one of the masters. The, the guillotine, when that was hooked in, and I was like, oh, okay, this is it. Like, here we go. To then get out of that one and find yourself in a triangle, surely he must have been thinking, okay, yeah, this is it. But then to get out of the triangle and finish the round in top position, battering Ortega, potentially um, could have even got the finish there. It's just, yeah, like you say, round of the year and yeah it's really difficult for those main event fights sometimes to to live up to the hype that's big title fights you know the build up goes on for so long so obviously um amazing that they managed to live up to that hype ross um i want to go back to who impressed you most because there were some really standout performances and some really statement wins but um yeah i want to know who impressed you most um well it's hard to um to think Think past what what George just said. That that guillotine was so tight. Even Volkanovski himself said that it was as tight as could be. Like and 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 Ortega is like the last person that you want on top of you like that. Maybe Charles Oliveira. They're both up there with the best. But but yeah, the fact that uh, Volkanovski stuck it stuck stuck that out. Um, yeah, it's hard to say that anything was more impressive that night. To be honest, um, Ortega did impress me though. Yeah. yeah, Ortega, yeah, for sure, mate, for sure. Uh, very impressive. Um, yeah, well, anyway. obviously saw, saw his ground game shining, uh, but <laughs> fair play to Volkanovski's ground game. Can you expand on that one, George, on on the on being impressed by Ortega? Because, yeah, to me, to a certain extent, I feel like we got what you always get with Ortega. Um, nah, I wouldn't agree. Um, he was giving it to... I th- well, I'll start off by saying I think Brian Ortega's reinvigorated. Um, he's been reinvigorated recently. It's when he went bald when he came back and he just looked incredible and he's got better since then. And now he's got his hair back, but he's still, um, he still looked absolutely incredible. I think he looked a lot better than when we saw him against Max. I mean, he nearly submitted the champion twice. Anybody else in the world other than Alexander Volkanovsky was going out once and then twice. So you can't really put that on Brian Ortega. And in roundabout, I think it was the fifth round, 
when he was like, F it, I'm coming out here and I'm doing whatever, what, like, I'm just going balls to the wall. He, he was doing pretty well in that last round as it was, fa- as, 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 as the bell. You could make an close. argument that it, you could make an argument that he could potentially have won the fifth round. You can make a, yeah, that's what I mean. It's very impressive. Very, very impressive thing to do against the champion, especially considering the damage he'd taken in the rounds leading up to that. Mate, he's I've got, got some of the best heart that, you could, that you'll ever see, especially after seeing what it, what how he stuck with it against Max and then uh, what he was like against Volkanovski. He's got some of the biggest heart you'll ever see Ortega has. I think uh, I saw but, that he'd, he'd absorbed yeah. like 600, more than 600 significant strikes in his last three fights, which is mental. <laughs> Man. Yeah, building up on, on what you said, George, about um, reinvigorating himself, Ortega. I think it was after the Max uh, domination that he, uh, he sort of realised, right, I need, if I want to hang with these boys, I need to be at a strike, I need to improve my game. So he went back, he evolved, shaved his head, evolved himself, came back. We saw what he did to the zombie. We saw his form against Ortega. He looked like champ material, to be honest, but that just shows how good Volkanovski is. We've got a bit of an axe to grind on this fight, and we'll talk about our bets in a bit, Ross, um, and we can have a look how we're doing on our on our bet tracker as well. Um, but we obviously called out Volkanovski uh, round four, 20, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 22 to one shot, right? And obviously it was a very, very close at about three occasions to being finished in round four. Yeah, and as Volkanovski said himself, it technically, Ortega, at the end of the fourth round, Ortega was sprawled across the octagon. He didn't get up. He didn't go to his corner. His corner came to him and picked him up and took him to the chair, which technically by the rules, is, is a technical knockout. Then, after the after the bell went, he was given, like, at least a minute, where at one point the ref says, how many fingers am I holding up? And he gave him a wrong answer. Oh, yeah. And then he gave him another go, and he got a right answer. But I'm pretty sure he only got the right answer because he was holding, only holding up one finger. Um, <laughs> yeah. So they got an extra 60 seconds rest. So I think that that's as good a shot as it comes from me and you, Ross. 22 to 1, Volkanovski wrap up. we as good as one, in my opinion. Obviously, there's no money hey, yeah. in, in the account, but in my opinion, we're as good as one. You'd be fuming, to be fair. If we'd actually put that bet on, I'd be fuming. I did. I did, mate. I, <laughs> oh, you actually... You I had it on. it on. Yeah, yeah. I had it on because I oh, honestly fair. thought... I was very confident in our prediction that he would wear him down over time and beat yeah. him up and, and finish him. And we both said it would probably be a case of him getting knocked down and then getting finished with a bit of ground and pound. So we were close, but... Um, yeah, like I said, we'll touch on our bets later, but that's the way it goes. Another person I want to talk about, George, um, A, because he was so impressive um, in his return fight um, against Nazareth, has Hakrapas, as we butchered his name a few times last week, but also just because he's agreed to step in on late notice at UFC 267 to take on Islam Makachev, um, and that, of course, is Dan the Hangman Hooker. First, before we touch on the Islam fight, because I know you've both got some opinions on that, what do you think of Dan's return and what his prospects like in that lightweight division now? I'd like to say that I called that fight pretty much from the start. I said he was going to, Dan, Dan Hooker was going to come back and he was going to look good on the feet and he was going to pick him apart over, <coughs> over the course of the rounds. He was going to land more strikes. And that's what he did. So just call me Mystic Hardy. Um, <laughs> Did you expect, one of the things that surprised me was how dominant he was in clinch situations and he lent on yeah. his wrestling a lot more than I'd seen him do in previous fights. Is that, do you think that was something that he sort of evolved a little bit in the in most recent camps or do you think that's something he's just not lent on enough? 
yeah, I think he's something he's been able to do for a long time. The guy trains with some beasts. Um, it, we know other people from his camp that are good in the clinch. Um, I think the guy's had that talent for a long time. He just likes to stand and bang at him. He just likes to stand and bang. And it's served him well and it's not served him well. And I think he's got to that point where a lot of fighters get to the point where they're like, yeah, I love to stand and bang, but you know what? I've, I'm more, I've got more than this. I can actually... I'm, I'm, you know, I can carry myself to the title. I think he's come back with a bit smarter game plan and he's started to implement that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think um, that's maybe the key, isn't it? That maybe he's he's had a few losses. Maybe he's had been through a few wars and now he's looking at it as I can fight smarter is the word that you use there. And I think that's maybe right. He can fight a bit smarter than he currently does and maybe win a few fights that might otherwise go against him. Um, and as we say, 267, I think it's October 30th is the date. Islam Makachev. I called it a banger alert when I put it in our chat before, Ross. Tell me that I'm wrong. Is that or is that not a potential banger? It's, it's, it's a potential banger, but it's also potential for Makachev just to do his thing and make it a ground controlling fight. So it's it could go both ways because like, I think Makachev on the ground is as good as they come, uh, in my opinion. I know he's yet to prove himself against some of the top dogs, but as we, as we said in our chat, um, everyone's been ducking him um so you know you never know um hooker i think you can make an argument that feet. islam's the most ducked fighter in the ufc at the minute i'd say he is um there's there's obviously people that if they got offered that they'd take it without a doubt like even given his circumstance tony would still take it if he got offered like any of the top guys take it but yeah um i won't want to be fighting makachev it's he's another habib really isn't he uh, just another russian controlling wrestler that can dominate on the ground and that's what he does and that's what I think he'll do against the hangman George I've seen you shaking your head on the screen there and I know <laughs> that you feel differently about Islam um, talk to me, Islam Makachev you're not, you're not quite on board the hype train yet are you? I'm just I'm, I just look at it logically and I've done this before and we've been in this situation before lads um, I don't believe I it's not that I don't believe in Islam Makachev because I know he's obviously got the skill set and you know he looks like he could be like Khabib, but it's just looked at the moment. He's not beating anyone for me to make to, like to agree with Ross's statement that he's as good as they come on the ground. We've not seen that yet. He's not been proven to do that yet. Until he fights the best of the best, he can't be called the best of the best. And that's how I see it. That's how it has always be. And um, it's served me well so far. So I'm just not buying into it until I see him beat someone top calibre. When he does that, he can have my support and being the best of the best. But he's not done that yet, so he's not. End off. Okay, fine. And uh, If he beats Dan Hooker, and if he beats Dan Hooker in a way that he's beaten his other opponents, does that, would that be enough for you to kind of get on board the train? Yes. If he beats Dan Hooker, hold him down and batters him, I'd say he's, he's definitely elite, yes. I'd agree. Okay, fair enough. I should say it's a really good matchup, a bit of a clash of styles. Um, we think it's dangerous for both men. Um, there's chances for both of them. So, yeah, it's said to be a really um, interesting addition to that 267 card. Um, the, the other fights that obviously Valentina um, doing her thing against Lauren Murphy, um, it, I guess this pretty much went down as, as we all expected, didn't it? Yeah, she went out there and did what she does best, just absolutely destroys. Uh, just the whole time, she didn't look in trouble. Like, she got knocked down at one point, but it was hardly a knockdown. It was more of like a trip or a, she like stumbled or something. Um, so it was a slip. That was like yeah. the worst. 
yeah, that that was like the most vulnerable she looked, and it weren't even a knockdown. Uh, ev- everyone knew that's what was going to happen. Uh, I think even Murphy probably knew it. <laughs> George, um, we obviously spoke last week about potentially Valentina and Nunes doing it for a third time. I believe Valentina's made a few comments this week about potentially being ready to do it for a third time. There isn't really another option, is there? It seems that that fate would lead us down the path of a third fight. But, I mean, historically, the fans don't want the third fight. If, if, if one person's won twice, it's not really a thing. But it seems well, the that second these two fight, are on. The second fight, you could easily argue that Valentina won the second fight. Yes, like yes, definitely. But, but, but yes, but she didn't. And you could easily argue that Nunes won it and Nunes did win it on the books. Um, and it just seems that these two are on a collision course and there's nothing that's going to stop either of them. Um, and yeah. when when it happens, it's going to go off. Um, Valentina's a lot better, but so is Nunes. And <laughs> it's just such a hard one to call. But Nunes has already proven twice that she's got, she can win it. So my money is How old's Nunes? Does anyone know how old Nunes is? Not sure off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure she's 31 or 32. <laughs> But oh my god. She, sorry, she's 33. <laughs> she was 33 in May. So I think she, Valentina's yeah. the same, maybe. Yeah, I mean, again, off the top of but my head. Building on what you said, George, about the third fight, would do you not want to see Max and Volkanovsky three? That yeah. one's a bit different. Um no, I, I yes. I, you know my opinion on the second Max and Volk fight. We'll get into it because it's a very, very, very controversial subject. So a lot of people disagree on it. Um, but I'm of the opinion that Max won. Um, yeah, me too. I know that he didn't. So, but you could just so that's how you could justify a third fight. But a lot of people um, would not. Yeah. That's what we just said about Valentino and Nunes, though, about the second fight. Mm. So, but anyway, moving on. The other one that I want to talk about, I have, I can honestly say I haven't stopped thinking about it since it happened. Was the first round of Marav Davalishvili um, against Marlon Moraes because. I've been thinking about it all week and I still can't think how would you even score a first round where both men probably could and should have had the stoppage at some point. <laughs> like is an eight eight a thing? Because they arguably both n- nearly had the finish. Um, Obviously Marlon came out so fast and had Marab in trouble. And then the way Devalish really obviously came back and sort of dominated the fight from there on out was was really impressive. But how the hell do you even score that? It was just that for me was up there with round three of Volkanovski and Ortega in terms of I was up out of my seat going wild because I just could not believe what I was seeing. It was, yeah, like I said, I think it's definitely up there in terms of round a year. If that's, yeah, if, if Ortega Volk's in the conversation, then for me, Marab and, and Marlon should be in the conversation as well. Can, can I just say that I've never seen anyone look so assuredly about to win and then look so assuredly about to lose as Mariah's <laughs> did in that fight. Yeah. In, in, in a short space of time, it was like, right, he's got this in the... Oh, my God, he's going to lose. That was, that, <laughs> that, was a, that was like the first round. Um, I don't understand how it happened. Um, the momentum. Devalish Philly, it's like something clicked in him and he yeah. just, the, the fight turned around all of a sudden and then it was one-sided the other way. But he just he exploded. Saw what Mariah's saw. On, Adam. No, go on, mate. Well, yeah, you probably saw what Mariah saw. Mariah's thinking, oh, I'm about to win. Um, he he would have seen the same thing. So, obviously, switched it on, turned the tables and let it go. What do you Matt, think about Mirab? Like, how far up 
that division can Morab go? Um, one of the obstacles for him is um, Aljamain Sterling is his good friend, trainer partner, was in his corner for the fight. Obviously, he's got the belt at the minute, and they've both said publicly that they, they wouldn't fight each other. So if he's looking towards a title shot, he's got to sort of wait in line. Obviously, um, Aljamain Sterling's obviously pulled out of, of his defence against Piotr Jan. Um, to be replaced by Cody uh, Sandhagen. So that's going to delay that a bit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we can talk about that later on as well because um, that's another great addition to the card that wasn't even there a few days ago. So, um, but yeah, Marab, can he, is he champion material, do you think, from what you saw? Maybe he's got to move up or down. Friends tend to do that. Look at DC and Velasquez. Um, they, they never thought they were like best mates. And DC sort of, it's almost as if he waited for Kane to retire and then he moved up and did his thing um, who else does it I think yeah Ben Askren and Woodley their mates they they, they said they'd never scrap um, I don't think they worry, need to worry about winning a, a belt anytime soon those two nah true, <laughs> true. Um, both got knocked yeah, out by um, Jim both, both got beat by Jim <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah you never know how far they could go though Um and as I said, if they move up or down, like, there's competition everywhere. Like, every division's stacked to the roof in it. So it's hard to say how well he's going to do at this point. Um, but he's definitely got talent. Shall we have a look at the bets then from last week, lads? Because it wasn't a bad start, actually, for the Octagon Ops, lads. Um, obviously, we talked already about Ross and I both going 22-1 to 1 on Volk to win in round four. Obviously, a bit of an outside shot. Um, that didn't land... Um, in our tracking system, we're going to go with 10 units per bet. Um, we'll take the odds from the time they were tipped up rather than from what they go off on fight night. Um, so, yeah, Ross, you lost 10 units on Volk. So did I. Um, you also lost 10 units. You had nine to four on Cynthia Calvillo um, in hindsight. Yeah, I knew it was a long shot, but... Yeah, as I said last week, I like to root for the underdog, but I knew I knew it was a long shot. It's a bit stupid to root against Andrade. But... Um, it's done now, isn't it? So we move forward. <laughs> I, I I like your gumption of taking one on at nine to four on the card because I obviously did the yeah. same with Jorginho Rosenstrike, who again wasn't a great performance. He didn't really bring the pressure on Curtis Blades, who yeah, Curtis Blades put in a really good performance and obviously bounced back with a good win. But um, yeah, Rosenstrike didn't really come in with the with the pressure that I was hoping he would in, in round one and, and sort of really try and knock him out. Um, so yeah, we both lost those two, but we both had our accumulators come in. Yours was fourfold on Hooker, Marab, Valentina, and Volk at three to one, um, and I landed nine to two for Hooker, Marab, and Gerard, Valentina, um, and Volk. So um, at the end of the night, leaves us both with a nice tidy bit of profits. I'm plus thirty-five units for the week, and Ross, you're plus twenty units for the week. Hardy's got nothing. <laughs> I, I, well, I look back through the show, and obviously, this is a betting podcast, and I don't remember you giving you gave me picks until you didn't win the fight, but you never actually gave me. I don't think me. I gave a bet, did I? No. no, you didn't give me a hard bet. When I was you do, doing a mission. Add, when you do, I can add you to the tracker, and, we, and yep. we'll, we'll keep well, track of your ability as well. One I thing think that's I something did, we just skipped over by accident, lads. So. One thing you did tip up, which I already think is not going to happen, was um, Nick Diaz to fight George St. Pierre. That was if <laughs> Nick Diaz won. Nick <laughs> Diaz won. But I also said Nick Diaz was going to look sad. 
and what did he look? Yeah, sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we haven't seen there was him. We haven't. I've got four that, to, yeah. twelve to one on Nick Diaz to look sad. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> I had that one to tracker as well. <laughs> you did see um, GSP in the cha- in the changing rooms before the fight, obviously shaking hands with Nick. So it seems like they've maybe put their issues to bed as well. So I don't think. Yeah, regardless. They've on the fight. Yeah, <laughs> maybe on the fight. Shaking on it. <laughs> While we're talking about it, um, again, did that? We all were kind of a bit concerned that he would be a bit of a shadow of informed self. And to me, there was glimpses of the old Nick Diaz in there, wasn't there? Maybe round two, he came out there a little bit, and um, he, yeah, he landed some good shots. But obviously. The way the finish went, was it a sad thing for you, Ross? Was it uh, were you disappointed, or yeah, was it was it what you sort of dreamt of seeing him back in the octagon? Uh, yeah, it, it was quite surreal seeing him back in there um, after so long, and obviously he's such an icon in the sport. It, it was it was quite crazy to see him back in there um, actually scrapping. Um, yeah, it was a bit bit of a weird way to stop, weren't it? He just sort of like threw the towel in on himself. Um, but he took some mean body shots off Lawler, like few few good roundhouse kicks to the to the ribs and to the sternum and that. Um, so yeah, I can imagine he was quite gassed. And even though it is Diaz and he's like cardio man, body shots like that are gonna gonna gas you. Um, but he did. He, he got away some like some nice classic Diaz combos that we all love to see. That one two was still there. Some of his body hooks still there. Um, so yeah, as I say, it was it was class to see him. But um, yeah, bit bit of an annoying finish. But I guess you can appreciate it. Hear me out here, George. Nick Diaz, Anderson Silva, thriller boxing card. I don't think Nick Diaz wants to fight. So no. I don't think we'll ever see that. I think it's, that was the last time we'll see him fight. I don't necessarily um, think he doesn't want to fight, or maybe he doesn't want to fight MMA. Uh, grasping. Grasping you get a big, big, he could get a big payday against Anderson for a boxing yeah, but, match, and all he has to do is worry about boxing. The hands, you don't have to worry about any other stuff. I mean, like, he, he looked like he was throwing two little My Little Ponies on on sticks at the, at the weekend. He was trying to. He just looked soft. He, he looked soft in his body and in his punches. Slow. He didn't look didn't like he wanted to be there, and he quit. I can't imagine him doing anything. Yeah. Again, of fighting, he shouldn't have come back. What do we make of his comments afterwards? Obviously, yeah, basically in the octagon, he, he was good as said, like he wasn't sure why he was really there and why the fight had been made. Um, obviously, not kind of a great look for the UFC to have, you know, one of their top guys um, in in the octagon after the fight. You know, not really sure why he was there in the first place. Do you think that was just a kind of a heat of the moment thing, or how did you sort of take that? Um, his <sighs> it was weird, wasn't it? Do you not, do you not yeah. think it was very it was, weird? It was, un, it was uneasy, wasn't it? It mm, felt like something it, we shouldn't have heard. His whole persona was sort of out there, wasn't it? Like, just what was like, <laughs> he just tell didn't, didn't want to be there. there. No, I didn't mm. want to be there at all. Yeah, um, it was sad. Um, yeah, it, it, it was quite depressing to be honest with you because that's one of my idols of the sport. When you look back at footage of Nick Diaz, he's just so endearing to watch and so passionate about it and stuff. And then he just doesn't didn't he just didn't see that. Like, where's the guy that was screaming for where you at, George? Where you at, motherfucker? 
Yeah. Um, he just didn't want to be there, and something had gone wrong. Whatever had happened with his management, he needs to sort that out. But he, he should he shouldn't have been there really. Um, the only positive for him is the payday. Really, think about it. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot to take in from that card, and yeah, that was one of them. It was a bit depressing, I think, um, in the end. But yeah, it, it really looked like someone who was fighting because they had to rather than because they wanted to. But I think all the more reason for the Triller card because fresh is <laughs> off, just a nice payday, doesn't have to worry about being taken down or wrestled or tapped out or any of that. Yeah. Like just and he gets a nice, nice, and that's he gets to ride off into the sunset with Anderson. Because obviously, if he came back for money, he obviously needs it for whatever reason. He needs it, um, and he wants a payday before he gets past an age where he can fight. I don't think the the Nick Diaz story is done yet. That's all I'm going to say. I don't think that is the last time he'll fight. Um, whether it be boxing, MMA, bare knuckle, it could be anything at this point. Um, Question is, you could fight KSI. Think, so who the hell? Do you think knows? he'll have a rematch with Lawler? No, I don't think I'm. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him in the UFC again. I'm pretty sure this. It kind of stunk of someone fighting out the last fight on their contract with the UFC, <laughs> so yeah. that they can go and do other things like Triller, because um, it almost. If you look at it, it almost makes no sense. Like, you've been away for six years. Why now? You know, if he's not interested in a long-term comeback to MMA, he said as much. Why now? Well, to me, he's got one fight left on his deal with the UFC where he had. He comes in against a guy like Robbie Lawler, who's also on a bit of a decline. You know, when things get a bit tough, he, like you said, threw in the towel on himself. He's now done with the UFC contractually, and that opens him up to go and do things where he might get a bit of a bigger payday for less of a risk but that's just how I see it I think we'll see I think we'll see him fight in some form again um but let's move on to looking ahead to this weekend and um, we're going to start with Bellator um, this weekend Bellator 267 um that's obviously on Friday night um so we'll start with that the main event Douglas Lima against Michael Venom Page two this is a this is a class fight obviously MVP is a legend of British MMA um, yeah. Obviously, we've, ne- we've never seen him in the UFC, but he's forged himself a great name um, in Bellator. He's looking to get his one loss back from Douglas Lima. Um, how do we see this one going? Ross, start with you. T- talk to me about this one. As you said, mate, um, it's his only loss to Douglas Lima, so he's might have a bit of a chip on his shoulder. His only loss in his whole career, um, so he's here to avenge himself. Uh, he's here to prove something. Um uh, he's he's su- such a mad fighter to watch. His style, fifth down black, uh, yeah, fifth down black belt kickboxer, and you can you can tell like you can see that in him. His stance sort of reminds me of like Wonder Boys, you know, his proper side on like on on his on his toes bouncing around, and uh, his explosiveness and his unorthodox style is crazy to watch, and it's very effective as obviously we've seen. Um, Against Douglas Lima, though, it didn't work in the past, and I don't know if that style is going to work again. Um, <laughs> Douglas Lima, like, to be fair, though, Douglas Lima is on a two fight losing streak, with Venom Page is on a five fight win streak, four of them being KOs from uh, from MVP. So that, that's another um, contributing factor in favor of MVP, really, isn't it? Um, we just asked the question um, about Nick Diaz, why now? And I think you can look at the, as you just said, the form going into this one. And if you ask the question, why now? George, do you think maybe MVP's looking at this, just as Ross said, Lima coming into this back-to-back losses, 
Whereas he's coming in on a five fight win streak and he's thinking I'm on, you know, one projection and he's maybe on the way down and he's trying to catch him on the way down. Is that, is that how it looks to you? No. Um, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> <Moving on. laughs> See, no, um, I, I, I'm a big fan of Douglas Lima and don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of Michael Venom Page too. Um, but Douglas, Douglas Lima, I think, has the right style to neutralise someone like Michael Venom Page, and we saw it last time. Um, and they might be on a two-fight losing streak, but one of them's to Musasi and the other one's to Amosov, and they're both unanimous decisions. Um, so it's not like he's getting knocked out, he's getting finished. Um, he He's fighting big fighters, and Michael Venom Page is has been fighting. Don't be getting me wrong, the fight he's fighting good. But he's a bit of a can crusher here and there. That's, I think he's part of his record quite a lot of being a can crusher. And what he does is he comes into fights and he keeps his hand low and he goes in with his hands low, likes to land his kicks, likes to land his fancy stuff. He likes to do a lot of dancing. But that's not what you want to do against a guy like Douglas Lehman who's got fast hands and he likes to counter and he likes to find these openings on, on, on people. And that's what happened last time. And from what I've seen of Michael Van and Page, he's not really changed his style. So I think he's probably going to end the same way. Is that how you see it, Ross? Obviously, um, there has, as he says, maybe there's been some evolution in, in Lima. But I think you can definitely argue that Page is a different fighter to the one that, that fought Lima the first time, can't you? Yeah, I can agree with that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's well said by George. Um, I think Lima has the style to, to neutralise him. Um, as he said, we, we like... Literally, George put it really well. Comes in with his hands down, and Lima's a big cart striker, powerful, uh, so accurate. And if Lima can land some of his leg kicks, oh my god, they are some mad leg kicks. And if he can get, you can like shut MVP's legs off, or at least damage him a bit. That's a huge part of uh, Fenn and Page's game. So, um, so yeah, I think Lima gets it done again. Gets it done in the fourth round with a TKO. Okay. Oh, big call. What's the what's the odds on that? Good question. Uh, fourth round TKO. <laughs> I can price. I haven't priced it up, but I can price it up and, and come back Pull to you. one of the one of the questions that I was going to ask is obviously MVP has got. I think he's got something like 10 first round finishes in 20 fights. Um, and you mentioned about his kind of explosive style and you know changing stances. How much of Lima's game plan will revolve around getting it out of that first round, and as you say, taking it into round three, round four, round five? Um, is that how you see it playing out? Just kind of a slow start and it build towards Lima. Um, yes, Michael Vernon Page. I think he'll come out. I think he's going to come out slower um, because he got knocked out. They'll be talking about smarter game plans. They'll be talking about keeping it at range. They'll be talking about don't fall into his traps. But fighters like Michael Vernon Page, he's got he's got such a unique style. When he gets going, he's going to fall into um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's going to fall into like natural body movement, muscle memory. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And then he's going to get. Like, I think he's probably going to go a couple of rounds. And then eventually he'll be get get caught with his hands down like he did last time, probably like third round, fourth round. Maybe Ross is right. Maybe fourth round. Because if you remember the last fight, it was actually due to um, 
due to Lima's leg kicks that got him, tripped him up and then just mm-hmm. planted him on ground. As I said, as I mentioned, how accurate he is. If you watch that knockout, he's so such an accurate mm-hmm. hook there that he that he finishes Paige with uh, sweeps his legs, trips him, or he falls at least, and then just knocks him right on the bottom, right on the chin. Nasty, nasty sweep. And it's Nate Nate. Nate Nate. Bloody Nate so, Nate, Adam. The, uh, yeah. So the betting odds actually go against both you guys. So you both think um, Lima gets it done here. It is close um, at the minute, but yeah, we've got MVP four to five um, and Douglas Lima um, 10 to 11. One thing we should also note is that it's round three, it's the three round five. So there will be no fourth round. Okay. <laughs> oh, fair. All right. Well, I'm not. Um, yeah, so <laughs> you can have nine to one on round three if you think it's going to go. But if in that case, nope, four. Obviously, yeah, obviously, yeah, no, I want fourth round odds. I was wondering, <laughs> I was wondering why I couldn't find them. <laughs> um, <laughs> does that open up the chance of a decision win for Lima in your books? Then obviously, mm. you thought it was maybe going to go further than three. Uh, it changes it. Um, obviously, the pace that we're going to fight at is going to be different. Um, it's where, yes, oh, that changes everything. It changes the game plans because where it's like, where do you go for a point sort of win? Or... I'd really like to petition Bellator to make this five rounds as well. Is this yeah, the main, it, this the main event? Like, yeah, yeah that's a, I just assumed, like, I didn't bother looking, I just assumed. Yeah. Um, in, in that case, um, get Scott Coker on the phone. <laughs> I'm just going off the top then. Um, round two knockout from, I'm switching it. Page with the round two knockout. <laughs> <He's> gone... <laughs> well, I'm just sending it out there. He's gone for the switch fighter. The switcheroo. The old switcheroo. He's gone for the old switcheroo. Yeah. I apologise to anyone that's coming looking for some well-reasoned MMA betting tips. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's more of a feeling. It's all it's just emotion. A, yeah, it's all, it's all inkling. <laughs> Obviously, we're in profit for last week, so it worked out fine last week. Yeah, and um, I made some calls. So what about? So no, you, but I do you, think I do think it's uh, it, it it's it's a valid reason. I think to like the, now that it's a free, not a five round fight. Um, they they are going to fight differently. Um, Agreed. As I said, yeah, I've just said what I thought. Yeah. But, um, Lima MVP, give us a give us a winner. Ten to eleven, Lima, four uh, to five MVP at the minute. But that could work. Uh, I'm going to say take Lima because Lima's Lima's going to win, and he's the underdog. So. You're going to make your money back. I am going to sit firmly on the fence on this one because it's a bit yeah. it's a bit Diaz Lola for me. Like I really, really don't know. I, I, I've had a look. I've looked at the stats and I just don't know. For me, the two losses for Lima are, are a big factor for me. And I'm assuming that's a yeah, big, factor, big factor for the bookies um, having MVP as a slight favourite. Form is important. Um, and for me... MVP's going into this one looking at his the only you know the only blemish on his record is the guy stood opposite him, um, yeah. you know. Whereas Lima's coming into this one thing on the back of two losses, needing um, a win. So it's going to be a really interesting fight, and that's why I'm sitting on the fence. Check that one out. At 9:30 p.m. UK time, because um, obviously this one's in London, and there's some other really good fights on the card. Um, some UK fighters in action. You got Liam McCourt. Uh, in action, uh, Tim Wilde in action, Robert Whiteford. Um, now Ross Bowman's on the only undercard. Um, desperate fighter. Um, and yeah, that's Bellator <laughs> two sixty seven. Um, 
And yeah, we're going to move on to the UFC Vegas card um, straight after this commercial break. So, UFC Fight Night, Vegas, Walker v. Santos. Johnny Walker and Tiago Santos headlining this one in the light heavyweight division. Um, first, I need to go over to George's stats corner because I hear that you've got something for me on this fight, George. Yeah, so Tiago Santos and Johnny Walker, we know these two men as quite wild, bomb-throwing men. That's how we know them. Tiago Santos has a bit more of a boxing style. Johnny Walker has a bit more of a whatever the fuck you're thinking about at that moment style. Um, and <laughs> Santos' style has worked out um, a lot better for him, I'd say. Nobody can forget that John Jones fight. He, took, he went balls to the wall with John Jones. Um, the stats that I want to give you today are, if we're going to start with significant strikes. Now, Johnny Walker lands 4.41 significant strikes per minute, whereas Santos lands 4.27. So in that regard, they're quite similar. And those are reasonably high as well. Um, but Johnny Walker has 72% significant strikes, and Tiago Santos has 48% significant strikes. So, San- so Santos is throwing the same amount as Walker, but Walker's putting more leather into them and landing more. So... What you'd, what you'd like to think, if it comes down to a slug match, which it likely will, is Johnny Walker might have the advantage. But what we have seen is Johnny Walker's chin is suspect to going when it gets smacked. And Santos has got quite the chin on him. Um, so it, it, next we'll go on to absor- strikes absorbed per minute. Um, Johnny Walker's is 3.51. And Tiago Santos's is... 2.33. So Santos's defense is a lot better than Johnny Walker's. Um, so what you what I'm suspecting is what's going to happen off the statistics based on the striking, because I think it's going to be a striking battle. I don't see it really going to, to the ground. Is Johnny Walker's going to be throwing a lot of his crazy stuff? Santos is probably going to ride the wave and probably catch him on the counter. Um, we've seen that happen to Walker before and I reckon Thiago Santos might take it within one round with a knockout Okay, interesting take Ross, um, I want to hear you your thoughts straight back on that, how do you see it going? Yeah, I see Santos getting a win um, as George said, it's going to be a stand and bang, like I said I don't think it's, I don't see it going to the ground uh, I think they both want to just stand up and batter each other um, Thiago Santos in my tie is so good at, like his striking is so good I think uh, we've seen what he did to Jones uh, he's beaten the champ he's beaten Jan Blachowicz in the past um, knocked him out the Polish power knocked him out um, I feel like I, I don't know this for sure but I feel like since the Jones fight has gone downhill because as we know he suffered some uh, ACL and meniscus injuries I think it was during that fight he actually sustained them and still almost beat Jones. I think it was like round two that he sustained them injuries and still almost beat arguably the GOAT. Um, but since then, yeah, he's lost to um, Alexander Ratic, um, unreal guy. Uh, Glover Textera getting submitted by him is like no, no shame in that, I guess. And then the decision to John was um, just before that. Um, 
But you argue that Santos can Santos? In fact, you could probably argue that I think it's right. It's a good matchup, and you could argue that both men could still make a run at the belt in this division. Um, We've obviously spoke about light heavyweight not being the thickest of divisions, and if you look at Santos's record, obviously you spoke about the Jones fight. It's only just over two and a half years since the Jones fight, so it's only two and a half years since he went five rounds with the greatest light heavyweight of all time. Um, and oh, nearly yes. and arguably beat him, and it's only two years. Sorry, it's two years since the Jones fight, and it's two and a half years since he beat Jan Blahovitz, who's obviously now the champion. Um, the three losses in between have kind of stalled any momentum that he could get from that. But given that he has a dub over the champ, surely Santos is really only a couple of fights away from really being able to stake a claim in this division as the next man to fight Jan Ross. Surely. Yeah, I do see him as one of the best in that division. And when it comes to striking, I really do like honor his striking. So I think he's so, so sharp, so powerful. Like, he's just got pristine striking, like, in my opinion. Um, and the way that he can advance as he's striking and still maintain the same power and accuracy, uh, incredible. He's got some mad kicks as well. But then you look at Johnny Walker and some of his knockouts, he's had a knockout with a flying knee. He's had an elbow knockout and a spinning back fist knockout. So the first round, ra- fifteen time. seconds that spinning back fist KO in round was it? one. Fifteen seconds. Fifteen seconds in round one, and he yeah, like so- went for a kick and then followed straight through the spinning back fist and just knocked him out. It was unbelievable. That's what I mean. He's the type of guy that can win any fight. Like he's outmatched by a lot of fighters, but he's got the potential to win any fight. And. Um, because he can just he can just throw whatever he wants whenever he wants, and there's a few fighters that can do that, and he's got that just that potential to end it whenever like, at a random point. And if like a cartwheel kick or something, I won't I won't even be surprised if I see like a cartwheel kick off him. Yeah, something obviously like Walker is a really flashy, unpredictable, quite an exciting character. You know, he dances, you know, his way into the octagon, and you know, in many ways, he's got all the attributes to be a massive star in the UFC is exactly the type of person that the UFC look for as, as the kind of person they build a division around potentially. Yeah. But George, I don't know how you feel about him in the big spot. The biggest spots he's been in in his career ever, so far, you know, he's lost, he's lost all of them. You know, he lost uh, to Corey Anderson and that really set him off. Um, he lost to Nikita Krylov. Um, after that, he got one back against Ryan Spann, but it wasn't, yeah, there wasn't exactly, an, he did knock him out, but it was a bit of a, a back and forth fight. Do you think he struggles with the bright lights a little bit and is maybe flashy because of that to kind of overcompensate? Or do you think he's kind of learned those lessons and can sort of put it into action here? Um, neither, neither of those. What I think has happened to Johnny Walker is <laughs> there's a certain... But there's a certain type, certain type of fighter that has a unique fighting style, and <clears throat> it works. It works as they rise through the leagues, but when they get to the top, it doesn't work anymore because it's too flashy, and the people at the top are going to catch you out. And that's what I think has happened to Johnny Walker. Um, as he's as he's grown and grown, his flashy style's got him wins against people that are less skilled. But when he's getting to fight the big dogs. They're finding him out, and they're just—they're not—they don't—they're not buying into these games that he's playing and this crazy stuff that he's doing, and he's getting caught out. Santos is the type of guy to catch him out. Um, 
like you said, Santos has been on a bit of a, a bit of a losing streak. Um, so he's not in the best form, but I do think he has what it takes to get it done against someone with the style of Johnny Walker, because styles make fights after all, Adam. Yeah, and I think one of the things, obviously, you mentioned about Santos's losing streak, but his last four fights are obviously Bohovitz, John Jones, Glover Teixeira, and Alexander Rakic. So yeah, well, yeah, he's been fighting absolute dogs. Um, so may- maybe that does kind of help him in itself. Um, Betting-wise, interesting in this market, yeah, Santos opened the betting as a reasonable favourite um, in this one, and it's pretty much remained that way. There's been some good support in the market, actually, for Santos. Uh, he's 8-13 to favourite at the minute. Uh, Johnny Walker's 7-5 to and still drifting. So you could be looking at kind of 9-4 to maybe for Johnny Walker, sort of what we're looking for um, before maybe before the fight goes off as much as 9-4. to Given what we mentioned about him being so unpredictable and the fact that he does things that other light heavyweights just simply can't or don't do, does that make him an interesting bet at that kind of price? Yes, it does. Um, if I was if I was doing Acker, I'd put Santos. But individually, Walker's not a bad bad bet to put a bit of money on because, like you said. Anything can happen with that man. So you could put you could put the wackiest bet on you find on there, and it's a chance he might do it. There's a chance he yeah. might do it. You just never know. So um, it's not it, Santos is the favourite. So if you have an Acker, put him on. But you just never know with Walker. So if you fancy chucking a bit on that, you might be pleasantly surprised by the end of the night. Ross, do you feel the same way on that one? I do, yeah. Yeah, well said, George. Um, if it was an accumulator, yeah, Santos is your guy. But um, as, I'm, as, I, as I said before, um, Johnny Walker throws mad mad moves at mad times when you wouldn't expect it. So, yeah, anything could happen. He could, he could knock, knock anyone out on his day um, just, just randomly. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a Santos win. Okay, well, yeah, either way, it looks like it's going to be a really good matchup, that one. Styles make fights, as we say, and um, it looks to be a really good matchup and it could be a really explosive fight. So, yeah, don't miss that one. That's the main event. George, you took on a really interesting point about flashy fighters who can maybe work their way through the divisions. Um, and that brings us on to Kevin Holland, who makes his return to face Carl uh, Dorcas. Uh, George, we'll go straight to you on this one. Is Kevin Holland someone who's suffered a bit from being maybe a bit too flashy? Yes. You've seen the exact case, uh, the exact case study of what I was saying before. Um, A guy that's come up and he has put his hands on the, I hate to say lesser fighters, because if you're in the UFC... You're 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 a mean bastard. Um, yeah, so when I say that, are, I don't mean I don't mean any disrespect. Um, but the lesser fighters, uh, he's put his hands on him, <clears throat> and then he's come up and he's realised at the top it's a dog eat dog world, and the wrestlers aren't going to give you any forgiving, and even the strikers aren't going to give you any forgiving. Um, now, <clears throat> Kevin Holland um, is very unique in the fact that he has very 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 high strikes landed per minute. <clears throat> and very, very low strikes absorbed per minute, um, which is very surprising, really, because I feel like when I've seen him in fights, he takes a beating sometimes. 
He's um, very he's, he he likes to stay at range, doesn't he? And he he's kind of he, he jumps in with his strikes and jumps back out of range. That's kind of mm. he's got an explosive style in that sense. I was thinking that you know, I feel like with Kevin Holland, like he maybe talked his way. Obviously, I know he's taken he took a few short notice fights in that run as well, which has helped him on that progression. But maybe he talked himself into a few fights that he technically wasn't ready for yet. Um, the Brunson fight for me probably exposed it more so than the Vittori fight, but it exposed two things. One, that the talking that he does in the octagon is great when you're winning and people love it when you're winning and it makes everyone think you're a great character. But when you're being mauled on the ground and out-wrestled and out-struck, it, it doesn't come across well. And I think it was almost embarrassing, the Brunson fight at times, the way he was going on in the ring. And I think that's kind of exposed his weaknesses even more so. Um, and I think the second thing that Brunson sp- um, exposed is obviously that his wrestling just isn't where it needs to be um, in this middleweight division if he wants to be a contender. And I think Brunson really exposed that and Vittori obviously copied it. Ross, if you're, um, if you're Kyle Docker's coming into this fight, surely you're looking to test whether or not Holland's gone back to the drawing board with his wrestling or not. Well, I've got a few things to say about Kevin Holland. Uh, first of all, he's 28 years old, so he's got a lot of time. He's not at his peak yet, at his physical peak. They say it's 30 to 32, so he's got time. He's also been wrestling with DC since that, since the Brunson fight. So he's, he's had one of the best wrestlers in the world teaching him how to wrestle. So I think that's uh, it's, it's, it's going to obviously help him a lot. How can it not if DC's managing you? Um I think there's no shame in getting wrestled by Brunson like that because Brunson is a top-class wrestler. He did the same to Darren Till. Even though Darren's not known for his wrestling, he's definitely a top guy in my eyes. Um, and Brunson did the same to him. I also think that um, Kevin Holmes' jiu-jitsu should get more credit than he than he does get. I think he's got decent jiu-jitsu. Look what he did to Jacare, even though he didn't submit him or anything, but Jacare is one of the meanest dudes on the ground ever like yeah he's he's quite old what is he almost 40 at least um nevertheless though his jiu-jitsu is one of the meanest that we've ever seen jacques in my opinion and um holland managed to scramble with him obviously pulled back and got a vicious knockout um obviously in 2020 i'm pretty sure he got fighter of the year award didn't he He got five wins in 2020 five out of five wins um but yeah from kyle's perspective you I think you want to get it to the ground just from what you've seen happen to Holland in, in the past. I think on the feet, Kyle's outmatched. Um, yeah, he's going to try and get it to the ground, I believe. Um, yeah, on Kyle, because he doesn't he doesn't shoot. Um, like, his offensive wrestling and his, his takedown offense is not a huge part of his game. Um, he, though. Yeah, his jiu-jitsu is good, but he's more, he waits for an opportunity, he strikes and he waits for an opportunity to kind of be ruthless on the ground. I really actually really, really like his style. Obviously, he's the um, the younger brother of Chris uh, Dorcas, who we saw in action on Saturday. He picked up another win, the heavyweight. Um, he's former Cage Fury middleweight champion, um, and it's only his fourth UFC appearance, so there is a bit of a difference in kind of UFC experience between the two, um, and whether that'll be a factor or not. But I, I, I like his style. He... He's big, strong, he stands at range. He works really hard with his lead right hand to create opportunities to land big straight lefts. And he's got a real strong big left hand. 
Um, I think he'll be the bigger of the two guys as well. Um, that's another thing I sort of worry about with Kevin Holland, George, is, is he big enough um, to, to compete with some of these middleweights? Um, obviously, yeah, Vittori and Brunson out-wrestled him, but you could argue that, yeah, they just outsized him a little bit as well. Yeah, um, he he's such a laid-back man that I think he's fighting in the division that he 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 should be, and nobody else is. Um, so I would say that he he is probably outsized by most people in that division, and a lot of wrestlers are going to be able to throw him about. I sort of hark back to something Ross said about DC training him, um, whereas and, I think um, DC only trained him a couple of times. He's actually been <laughs> working really hard with times. Um, He's actually been working hard with uh, Johnny Hendricks, and that's going to be in his corner um, at the weekend. So he has been working on the rest of the big time. So. Um, Johnny Hendricks, I'm just going to say, okay. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, he's a good wrestler. He's a good wrestler. Um, but, yeah, he's only trained with DC a couple of times, Ross. I think he put it on his story or something, didn't he? But it's, yeah, it's I didn't only... mean it was like a permanent thing, but even still, I'd take few tips off DC have got to go a long yeah. way surely. I don't think it's going to go <laughs> so far as like making him a better wrestler though unless he's been I, I yeah, imagine he's been drilling it but there's the hole's quite big and we'll just have to wait and see to be honest he's got like he's what, got a lot of time here's what I like though about what Kevin Holland's done since the Vittori loss is we used to hear a lot of Kevin Holland he was out there you know all over social media and that has to a certain extent has he's gone a lot quieter it, it seems like he has gone away and worked on the wrestling, whether or not, as you say, George, he's had enough time to put that into action yet. Um, but I, I don't think he'll probably maybe have to lean on it as much as we think in this fight, um, going back to Dorcas as well. Obviously, we mentioned Dorcas likes to keep people at range. That's one of the things he's good at is keeping distance. Um, but Holland's got, I think it's a five or a six-inch reach advantage, Ross. So will that actually help Holland in... You know, if Dorcas does try and keep him at range, that should give him the advantage in the striking, shouldn't it? Obviously, with his Holland's a mean striker at the best of times. You'd think so, mate. Yeah. Um, as we said before, he's he's maybe not uh, big, big or heavy enough for that weight class when it comes to wrestlers. But um, the the other side of that is that he's he's long and fast and um, agile. So yeah, it doesn't really might not help him when it comes to the wrestling and. Um, like the physicality side of it, but yeah, it's going to help him with with that side of it, I believe. And um, yeah, I think if, if Dorcas tries to keep the range and tries to keep on the feet, Holland's going to be able to do what he does and and uh, pick him up. Yeah, pick, not pick him up, sorry, piece him up. So yeah, is that how we both see it going then, Kevin Holland, or can either of you make a case for Dorcas in this one? I'm going to sit on the fence in this one. Yeah, I think it's a decision win for Holland. So yeah, the betting odds at the minute: Kevin Holland eight to thirteen favorite, Dorcas five to four. Um, again, that's strengthening in Kevin Holland's favor, um, and Dorcas is drifting a little bit. So again, he could be another interesting bet on, on fight night, especially if you think it's just going to be a stand and bang because that, you know, and obviously anything can happen in in those wild exchanges. Um, but yeah, decision win um, for Kevin Holland. You both you both see it that way then. I'm I I I. Are oh, you sitting on the fence? Up. Really? Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's interesting. I'm so, yeah. I'm surprised that you've not called that one either way. To be fair, I just yeah, don't know. I, I just don't know. Um, just even the fact that you don't know is that enough? Especially 
if, if Dorcas is drifting from sort of five to four um, outwards and you can obviously double your money, is it worth a go? Like, or, or do you really not know that you just think it could go either way and I don't want to bet on it? I, yeah, I just think it could go either way and I, I won't want to bet on it. I can't guarantee in my head how Kevin Holland's going to come back. Like you said, yeah, has he been working on his wrestling? Is he better at it? Is he not better at it? Is he come out the same? Is is You just don't know. And I just feel like I, w- I wouldn't put any money on this one because I'd just be too unsure about the way, it. The way I'm sort of looking at it, as, as you said before, um, uh, how you call them, like, whatever you said, the, the fighters that aren't top level, however you worded it, do you see Dorcas as top level? Because if not, that's that's the that's the color. I don't. Of I, don't I wouldn't say that. Banging. I wouldn't say you know that I mean? Kevin Holland is top level though. No, I wouldn't either. But Kevin Holland has been beating these guys that aren't top level, and I'd put Dorcas with them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so it's not a top level. It's not proving that he's any good. Basically, is what you're saying. No, uh, no. Nah, nah. I mean, so like the, the five wins that um, that Holland got last year. Are against guys that are top of the game, you know, right. they're like like contenders. I'd see Dorcas as a contender, and this is these are the type of guys that Holland was just battering. Yeah. Oh I mean, right, okay. So you think yeah. he's going to beat this person? So I'm not saying he's going to batter him, but I do think that. Yeah, I do. That's why I think he'll win. Yeah, I'm th- I'm leaning towards Kevin Holland um, win on this one as well. Uh, I'm not going to sit on the fence on this one because yeah, I think. Yeah, like Ross said, I think these are the kind of guys that Holland um, has been beating. And I think this has been put together to try and get Holland back on track because um, he, yeah. he is a reasonably big name. Um, and, it, and we know that Dana likes him because he does things like fights five times in a year. And that's exactly the sort of thing that Dana likes. So it does feel a bit like the hooker fight with Nasrat in a sense that this is a good opportunity for Holland to get back in the win column and sort of get that momentum going. The, the two contenders put them together, whoever wins. It, it's a win-win situation for the UFC because they get, um, you know, a contender off the back of it. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting fight. But, yeah, I think Kevin Holland, 8-13, to 13, um, which brings us on to the final fight we're going to run through um, on this card, which is uh, Alex Oliveira against Nico Price um, at Welterweight. Not a great deal of form in, in either of these two actually coming into it. Um, no. Oliveira's coming in off back-to-back losses. He lost to Randy, got subbed by Randy Brown um, last time out. Oliveira's coming, uh, sorry, Price is coming into this one um, with three losses in his last four um, and he drew with Cowboy Cerrone in the middle of that as well, which obviously, given what we've seen out of Cowboy, again, is maybe not the best form. Um it's a, it's for me. This is probably more difficult to call than any of the other fights that we've been through so far today. Does anyone else see it differently to me? Um, yeah, it was it was quite hard to uh, to sum this one up. Actually, um, it's hard to it's hard to compare them. But the the deciding factor that did it for me was that um, the caliber of opponents that uh, Nico Price has been fighting a lot higher than Oliveira's opponents. I'd say. So, as I said, you've got uh, Michel Pereira. He lost the decision to him. Drew to Cerrone, and Price was actually buzzing that he drew to Cerrone. If you saw it after, he was like, he was really yeah. buzzing. And Cerrone was like, what are you doing? Why are you happy? Um, I think he was just delighted to be fighting is... Cowboy, wasn't he? From yeah, what I saw yeah, in the interviews yeah, after, true. they were just hugging, and he was, even at the end of the the, third, the start of the third round, they had a big hug in the middle of the octagon, I think. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and he's also lost, lost to Vicente Luque, which, <laughs> but... 
Luke is. And Jeff Neal as well, which is also a top contender. So Price, yeah, he's, he's lost a lot recently, but he's he's losing to top top guys, but obviously not Cerrone and like he doesn't look bad either. Michelle Pereira's no, he doesn't I think he looks pretty good. Um, yeah, he doesn't ever look bad. I think Oliveira never really looks bad and he can turn up on his day, Oliveira can. Um I think he's the biggest gatekeeper of all time. I think gatekeeper is the absolute word for it. I was going to pull out one of these stats for you, but um, since his first UFC appearance in March 2015, this weekend will be Oliveira's 21st UFC fight since then in, what, six and a half, a little over six and a half years. So gatekeeper's one word for it. Um, I'll call him a workhorse for the sake of a, a better word. Exactly. You know, he's a Danish company guy. Must be big friends with White, yeah, yeah. you know, gets him on three or four cards a year. He wins some, he loses some. I guess, yeah, gatekeeper maybe is the best yeah. word for it then, isn't it? Yeah, I do agree that he is, a, he is a gatekeeper, but to be a gatekeeper, you've got to be decent. Do you know what I mean? Like, Cerrone, yeah. like, not really now, yeah. Cerrone's not a, like, well, no, nah, Cerrone's, I'd still say he's a gatekeeper. You've got, you've still got to be good to be a gatekeeper, Um, you know. You've got to be uh, good to be in the UFC, to be fair. Well, yeah, obviously. Um, but yeah, I don't think being a gatekeeper is, is sort of a negative uh, point. Do you know what I mean? Uh, because That's a lie, say, sorry. Um, not you, me. Fucking CM Punk was in the UFC. I mean, uh, no, no, so, no. Yeah, that's fair. Ben Askren. Yeah, so it's Ben Askren, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, yeah, so I don't think it's a bad thing to be called a gatekeeper uh, because I'd... Like, like we mentioned before, they're very, very similar, but um, I do think Nico Price comes out on top. I've got some more stats for you as well, George. I know you were, you were looking at um, the strikes landed and the strikes absorbed in your research, clearly. Um, and I was looking at it in mine. Uh, and in this one, I pulled out an interesting nugget. Um, Price always likes to come in and put on a good pace. We know that. Um, he lands a lot of kicks. He does a lot of good work with the kicks. Um, he's got a really nasty calf kick and inside leg kick, which is real, real nasty. Um, but in terms of comparison between the two, Price will come in with a bit of a pace plus uh, 2.2 extra strikes landed per minute. So you were comparing like three, six percentage, it was about two extra strikes per minute landed here. But he also, That's the price, is it? Yeah, he also then leaves himself open to counter striking opportunities and he has 3.6 more strikes absorbed per minute than Oliveira. And I think that for me, is where this fight will be won and ultimately lost, in my opinion, for Nico Price. Because I think he will leave too many opportunities for Oliveira to counter-strike. And that is one of Oliveira's biggest weapons, is sitting back and landing those big shots, counter-strike. And I think that's his opening into this fight for me. And I, I think when it, even if it does come to the clinch and the wrestling, I haven't seen enough out of Price, wrestling-wise, to think that, that Oliveira maybe doesn't even have the upper hand there um, as well. At the minute, Nico Price, 8-13 to 13 favourite with the bookies. So I'm making a case here for Oliveira um, at 5-4. to four. And in fact, this is my bet for the week, um, not just Alex Oliveira to win, but to win by a decision um, at 4-1. to one. That's my case. What do you think of that? Alex Oliveira, he's obviously, I mentioned the counter-striking. We know Price is going to leave those opportunities. Do you disagree? I disagree. I'll tell you why. Um, so, Price does absorb more strikes per minute, but he's also been proven to be able to take that. Um, Alex Oliveira has been proven to 
wilt under pressure. And I think if there's one thing that Nico Price brings, it is pressure. Um, I can see Nico easily coming in there and putting pressure on him um, and it becoming a bit of a war. Um, Nico being able to take the strikes and Alec Oliveira getting worn out over time. And Paul's be finishing it. And I know you said that the, the Alex has the advantage in the grappling, but both of them have... Alex Oliveira's takedown accuracy is 37%, and Nico Price is 20%. So I don't think we're going to see this go to the floor. I don't think it's even more about... I don't think... Yeah, I don't think either of them will necessarily shoot for a takedown, but I think it could end up on the ground. On the ground. From, yeah, from the striking. And both of them have shown that they're, they're capable once it does get there. I don't think either will necessarily be trying to hook single legs or anything. No. I think no. on paper, it's probably going to be a banger. Like, we know that, yeah. Ross, that Nico Price comes to fight. Like, whenever he turns yeah. up, he, he he comes to fight. He certainly does, mate. So does Oliveira. Like, some of the things. Yeah. Remember his fight with Vianci Medeiros? Yeah. Or whatever he's called. That, that was like, you know, I'll get fight of the year or something. That was like 2017. Like, contend, con- yeah, but he's still... When you fight, when you fight five up. times a year, though, you're bound to have a couple of bangers thrown in there. That's what I mean about him being a workhorse, mate. Yeah. So, yep. <laughs> so, you, so you tell me. So you tell me. Then you're leaning what? Nico, you're leaning Nico Price. Can you get involved? I, I think. Me? Uh, I think Nico Price takes the decision win. Decision win for me Nico too. Price. That was I, four to two. four to one as well. Both of you on Nico Price as well for a decision win. Okay, it looks like I'm out on my own. I've made my impassioned case there um, for Alex Oliveira. So just moves us on to our last section. We'll run through um, our bets for the night. So you've, is that is that the one that you've pulled out, Ross, George, you bet for the night? You're Nico Price by decision at, at four to one in the last fight, or have you got another one for me? Um, no, just, just the ones that we've mentioned um, already. Um, I'm gonna take my better the my better than I is the bet on Johnny Walker. Okay. Because you he, he like like we said before, anything can happen, and he makes it so that something crazy is gonna happen at some point. Um, and that could be the end of the fight. So there's a good chance that it could end in any of the rounds from Johnny Walker. So it's good money to put put on him, I reckon. Seven to five, Johnny Walker at the minute. And as we were saying before, that's drifting. So if you potentially hang on until fight night, you could get um, a bigger price. Obviously, shop around. There is a bit of value to be had out there as well. Um, what about Aka-wise? Obviously, Ross, we had some success this week. So I'm going to go for it again this week. Um, this oh, time, I'm only, going for, I'm only going fourfold. And we're going to leave Bellator because that's on Friday night. And I don't want it to disturb my sheet. I want to watch all the fights on Saturday with a clean card. I don't want to risk yeah, yeah. my, my Aka being done with on Friday night because that's just the worst. So I'm going with Thiago Santos. I'm going with Kevin Holland, Alex Oliveira, as I've mentioned, and Aspen Ladd is also fighting further down the card. Uh, I think she'll get the win as well. That comes out at 15 to 2. So again, some really good value there if you think um, with me. I don't know if you, you disagree on any of those selections for the ACA. I know you've you've told me about Nico Price. So you're, not, you're not seeing that one, I guess. Yeah, mate, um, I'm going to go Nico Price with the win. Uh, Kevin Holland gets it, and so does Thiago Santos. And, yeah, I think it's a good idea to leave Bellator separate. Um, as, yeah, that would be a real bummer if your act was done before it even started. Predictions, lads. On the UFC card, fight of the night, where do you see that one going? I think it could easily be um, any of the top three. 
um, leaning towards Thiago Santos and Johnny Walker, but the other two could easily be bangers as well. Yeah, uh, fight of the night, I'm going to say Alex Oliveira and Nico Price, fight of the night. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Oliveira and Nico Price, for me, that's got all the makings of of fight of the night. Um, on your Acaros, so you've gone Thiago Santos, Kevin Holland, Aspen Ladd, Nico Price. Um, that's five to one at the minute. You probably get a bit more than that um, further towards the time. So... That just leaves me with the responsibility of reminding you, Ross, and me, and everyone listening to gamble responsibly. Um, man's not done his acker. Man, oh, have you got an acker, Abby? I didn't. I didn't realize. I'm just going to make some. Okay. I'm just going to make some picks. Okay, well, let, let me just remind everyone to gamble responsibly because that's obviously um, <laughs> a big part of our message here. But yeah, I'll price it up for you. Tell me. Tell me. Always gamble responsibly. Always gamble responsibly. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for Santos, and then I'm gonna go for um, the Kaus. Yeah. And then I'm gonna go for Price. Yeah. And then um, a rogue one. I'm gonna go for Sirkinov. Sirkinov. Okay. Well, give me a, give me a second to talk amongst yourselves while I price that one up. All right. While he's doing that, George, who do you think is gonna get performance of the night? Um, that's a great question. Uh, Nico Price. Performance of the night. Nico Price is going to pull off some some performance. Um, it's so just um, just let me remind you, so Thiago, Nico Price, Kyle Dockis, and uh, Serkinov as a fourfold. Yep, brings you out eleven point two nine to one. Um, so yeah, nice little price for you. We'll see how um, we'll see how we all get on with that one. Performance of the night, Ross. Who do you think that's going with? It's going to Kevin Holland. He's going to come out, and I think he's got a few doubters. I think there's a few doubters in this call. Um, and yeah, he's going to come out, and I reckon uh, Kyle might even get get all of them, maybe even get taken down. I think he's going to look pretty good, mate. Um, I think it, he's one of those cases where, let's use Ortega as an example, gets battered by Max, goes away and works on his holes. I know it's not been that long for Kevin Holland, but he knows what his holes are and he knows what he needs to do to fix them. And he's got a chance to show it now. I think he's going to come out and uh, get performance of the night. I just think I want to remind the ladies and gentlemen that Ross is notorious for buying into hype trains. Um, every yeah. single time buys in, so just just take yeah, that. Just take that advice for pinch of salt. Take that advice for pinch of salt. The train's <laughs> not at the station though, because he's lost twice, so it's not a hype train. No, I can't. I forward. can't really talk. I back, <laughs> I backed Conor McGregor um, against Poirier in the second fight because I jumped straight back on the hype train. So we're all Another susceptible. One right about. <clears throat> We're all susceptible to jumping on the hype train for every once in a while. But yeah, Kevin Hell, we're very much looking don't forward to seeing him me. back in action. We've got Bellator sure 260. <laughs> nah, he's just he's too miserable to jump on a hype train. Oh, I know what hype train. You're on the Adesanya hype train. Oh, yeah, because yeah. Adesanya's oh, not class. <laughs> 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 I'm on the Adesanya hype train. No, I was on the Adesanya You thought he'd beat Jan. Yeah, no, That's but not he's still a hype train. Class. He's still the best middleweight, one of the best middleweights of all time. I was like, hype train. <laughs> he's just proven world class. He's beaten some of the best fighters in the world. No, yeah, I'm just saying you thought he would have beaten Jan. This could yeah. honestly go on all night if I let it. So I'm going to 
draw this second episode of Octagon Odds to a close. Again, I'm going to ask people, please gamble responsibly. If you are listening, please give us a rating or a review on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, wherever you're listening. Let us know what you think of the show. Leave us a review. Follow us on socials at Octagon Odds. That's it. We're done. Peace. Nice one, guys. Thank you very much.